All right, we've got a first question from our Digi Lightline on a voice note from Cassie. Hi, Dr. Joelle. My name is Cassie and I'm asking on behalf of my mother who has been worried about being really forgetful. She's 54 years old. Lately, I have been noticing that she doesn't seem to be there when we are talking and she doesn't remember things like she used to. Alright, Cassie. Um, so your mom's 54. So that's um, an, at an age where we start to start considering some um, developmental um, changes. Lah, that really? Are, that 50? Usually about 60, 70, that's when it happens. 54, it's a bit early, but it's not like super early. Lah, okay. right? I think early onset will probably be what, 30, 40 years old. Right. But that's like extremely early. Lah, right? So 54, it's about there. I think um, it's we need to start considering. Lah, right? To be fair though, I think adults as they get older, there is a natural decline cognitive abilities that much is certain uh, you know um, mm. your ability to remember things diminishes your ability to pay attention diminishes even your ability to control what you say or don't say diminishes as well that in- inhibition of control right mm. um, some people describe it as almost like being a bit drunk you know you, you just say whatever comes out to your mind right, you right, really right. no filter yeah no filter exactly so I wouldn't be too worried just yet I think it's something we, it's worth monitoring over some time and see where this progresses if it gets worse then of course I think we need to send her in for an assessment just to make sure that you know if it's um, anything more serious or not, right? If it is, there are some good techniques that we can use to slow down the process. Uh, not necessarily stop it, but slow it down. But if not, then maybe it's just a natural aging kind of thing and there's nothing really to worry about. La. So I think that's what we need to do now. La. I noticed that as I've gotten older, mm. there are many things that I don't care to remember yeah, because yeah, yeah, just yeah. I've got only so much RAM space in my head, right? <laughs> yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Is there a way for... for uh, Cassie's mom to maybe practice being more mindful yeah. about that. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. So um, studies have shown if that um, that people who are active, lah, you know, uh, throughout their lives, mentally active, right? Um, so those people who do crosswords, Sudoku, that kind of thing, it actually mm. staves off a lot of this kind of, um, I suppose, degeneration or regression in terms of their cognitive abilities quite a bit. So if they're able to engage in that kind of stuff, um, social stuff, uh, academic stuff, and things like that, yeah, then I think that really does a really good job in helping uh, reduce the impact of that happening. You know? Exercising the muscle. Yeah, the brain muscle. Dr. Joe, I have a message now, a WhatsApp message on our DigiLight line from someone called Mary, who says, Dr. Joe, my question is, how can I know if I may be suffering from Munchausen syndrome, as I sometimes tend to take meds that I'm not supposed to, for example, blood pressure meds, too many vitamins, because I always feel like I'm sickly and I need certain meds that's not for me. I don't know why I keep doing this. Do I need help, doctor? And what exactly is Munchausen? syndrome and Munchausen by proxy. So Munchausen by uh, syndrome or Munchausen by proxy um, basically means that you know you yourself are fine there's nothing wrong inherently wrong with you but mm. you have other people around you who are sick or ill or have some kind of malady right and you uh, adopt the symptoms either consciously or unconsciously like, and you really your body is on full display like, in that sense like, right? some, some occurrences that have occurred are things like uh, aches and pains um, organ failures um, sometimes even pregnancies and things like that, right? And it can happen, right? My main concern is that you're taking medicine that you're not supposed to. I think uh, medically, that's a big, big uh, worry, right? Mm-hmm. Because, like, for example, some heart medication, it's a blood thinner, and I don't think, you know, if right, you're perfectly right. healthy, you want to be taking blood thinners, for example. So that's my first major concern there, mm-hmm. right? 
is this an issue? I probably think yes. Um, I think you know the fact that you are feeling that you're sick or feeling that you are unwell and resorting to taking this kind of medications on your own is a concern, right? Mm. Another thing that I might want to throw there is hypochondriasis. Sorry, I can't say that all of a sudden. Where you feel that you're sick when you're actually not, right? You just assume right. that you're sick, right? And again, that is a condition as well, psychologically, right? Mm-hmm. And it's worth checking out and see. The worry here is that, you know, it escalates, right? And you perhaps one day you might take a medication that really doesn't uh, jive well with your body and then it just mm. goes awry from there. Mm. So at this point, I think it's probably a good idea to go and see someone. A uh, clinical psychologist would be a good idea or a psychiatrist. Get yourself assessed and see. And also, more so than that, understand where the underlying anxiety comes from. Now. Why is it that you feel that something's awry, something's wrong, and then we can check it out and see. Yeah, I think it's what's, what's interesting for me is and, and positive is that, mm. you know, Mary... Uh, realizes yeah. that this may be a problem. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, more often than not, you're not the one who realizes it, correct, right? Correct, correct, yeah. So I think the, there's some good level of awareness, like perhaps that's your own way or body's way of protecting yourself and telling yourself something's not right here, right? So that's a good sign. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the next step is to get some help, uh, definitely. Is, is Am I wrong in thinking that this is um, also similar to, um, you know, we've seen in the movies and stuff, a parent who's making their child sick? Is Ooh, that? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is that Munchausen by proxy? That's a manifestation of it. I, I, I get confused by the exact term, but yeah, mm-hmm. that's a manifestation of it as well, uh. Yeah. Right, right, okay. So they, they keep their child sick just so that they can take care of them or something like that, right? Well, that's one way. Another one is that when the child is sick, then they're getting the attention and stuff like that. Right, so right. then they mm. drive off that as well. Okay. Okay, Doctor, uh, we've got a voice on our DigiLightline now from Deepak. Hi, Doctor. Is it possible to ever stop feeling low? I have spent years working on myself, practice mindfulness and reading positive books, etc., and I'm so much better than used to be, but still feels like a daily chore and constantly be on watch for those low, low feelings and thoughts so that I can do something about them. Very interesting. Mm. Mm. Okay. Um, so to answer your question, Deepa, I think there are certain people in this world out there where they are naturally biologically neurologically inclined towards a bit more depressive states right so research has shown that there have been people where they are I forget the exact uh, neurotransmitters they have a deficiency of it so naturally you're in a more like lowish mood in that sense right and for this kind of individual sometimes medication can be quite effective like you take it you balance out the neurotransmitters and then off you go you're okay right um, but I think one thing that you said there was quite interesting was the fact that, you know, you... Um, and, um, before I go there, I think good job on you because you've been working so hard to try and keep a balance and make sure they're okay and a fantastic effort, right? But I think one thing that's interesting that you said just now was that you are constantly on the lookout for something bad to happen, right? And I think sometimes there's this whole self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing that like we can create scenarios oh, from right. happening, right? So if you're always on the lookout for something, then pretend anything small could be uh, amplified, so to speak, right? And, and become bigger and it's proof like that, okay, look, something's going on, right? Mm. Um, I, I don't know whether it's just, uh, you know, the, the, the way in which you speak or whether it's something you're actually doing. But if you are, that's something you want to pull back on from a little bit because I think, you know, live life, right? And you said you practice mindfulness and meditation and things like that, which is great. That's, I think, something you can apply for this situation as well just live life as a full stop there's no need to worry about the future don't worry about what happened in the past and enjoy what you have right now I think that way it's not going to stop you from being depressed in the future of course not but 
while you're not, enjoy it. I think that's something that can be done to just you know, improve the quality of life that you have. I was going to ask you something about you said earlier about sort of some people are naturally just low, mm, uh, low mood, low mooded, yeah, yeah. Uh, naturally. Yeah. How do you get tested for that? So, so in some instances, it can be psychological, of course, right? Um, and because of the, the the manner in which you see the world, so that's why you have a low mood. But for some people, it is biological, um, and it's some imbalances in your system, right? The most direct way is to go see a psychiatrist, and then they can able to do some tests and see. I think in in the more modern developed uh, psychiatric facilities in, in America and stuff like that, I think you're able to go into fMRI and then they can check and see like, what mm. uh, what's going on in your brain, like, basically. Right. Like. I don't know the exact mechanics of it, of course not. Mm. I think uh, Dr. Philip might be a better person to right, ask right. that question, right? Um, but another way to do it is just to take the meds and see what happens, right? Um, if there is really nothing going on in your life and psychologically you're... you're doing fairly well you pop a pill and you feel right after that it's a good chance that it's the imbalances that are going on again good chance is not it's not set in stone I mean, we do know mm-hmm. for a fact but you know it's possible that that's what's going on right? but speak to psychiatrists I think that's the best person to speak to and then from there you can engage in sila Okay, Doc, I have a message now on our Did You Like line from Vera, who says that this is about her husband who's 59 and struggling apparently with getting older. He's very self-conscious about hair loss, his tummy needing reading glasses. She says, I love him very much, but he refuses to get help or believe me that he is still him. He has no confidence. How can I help him? Oh, mm, bless. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one, right? Um at, at that kind of age as well, I think there are a lot of uh, things going on emotionally and psychologically as well. I think the dreaded uh, midlife crisis thing is probably about there or towards the uh, final mm. stages of that uh, happening. Um, at that age also, a lot of humans, a lot of adults start going through this process of uh, figuring out what the legacy is. Right? What have I left behind? Have I done enough? You know, is, Do I have anything that I'll be remembered by and things like that? Uh, what what do my kids get? What do my family get from after I leave, for example, and things like that? So I think that's contributing towards a lot of the self doubt, the low self esteem, and things like that that you were describing, right? Mm. Um, and it's quite a common occurrence, lah, right? Now, in terms of getting him help, you know, I think you're doing a lot already. You're reassuring him. You're you're reminding him that you're you. I love you, and you're the same person, and all that, which is great. But ultimately, you know, and I've said a couple of times on the show before, you know, it's not something we can force, right? They have to want to get that help and, mm. and, and things like that. And for that matter, I think for your husband, I think from the sound of it, like, I think accepting what's going on like, seems to be his biggest struggle right now. Like. And is that mm-hmm. weird chicken egg kind of thing. You can't accept it, but you can't get help until you accept it. But you know, sometimes it's hard to accept it if you don't get help. Mm. So it's this weird thing going on here. Um, I think the best thing you can do right now is just give him some space, give him some time, right? Um, he knows what you have to say already, which is great, and I think that's something you should uh, be have ready like, whenever he asks and you know, whenever the opportunity arises. Like. But ultimately, give him space. Like. I think once he's able to process it, it's time to digest it and really soak it all up, like, I suppose. Like. You know, then he'll be more, hopefully, like, open to get some help, like, I think. Midlife crisis... When exactly does that because re- midlife could be forty? Yeah, because yeah. for different people, it's different. Yeah, it's random. Yeah, yeah. I think what's also happening is that people are having uh, life crises, like, right, at different stages as well. Right. right. The the most popular one is midlife crisis. So usually, well, what forties, fifties, you yeah. get that. Now people are having things like quarter life crisis. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, so many you know, crossroads like that. Yeah. that happen across yeah. the I, journey I like that of word life. Better, crossroads, yeah. right? It's yeah. also right. a crisis, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's, a, it's a point where you're trying to figure out who you are right now. You know, things obviously change. At 59, you're not the same person as you were when you're 19 and mm. full of vigor and hope and dreams and things like that. It's, it's different. It's changed, right? I think yeah, crossroads. I think that's a good point as well. Like, yeah. I think at this at 59, what's left for you? What else mm. is for you? Like in that sense, like maybe that's the question that he's wondering. Now.
Mm. Right, because like downhill from here, kind of. Thing, you know? Well, necessarily. I guess you know. I mean, a, a lot of men keep quiet about their feelings. Yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah. Does it affect men more? I think it affects men more intensely, lah. Like what Asha just said, you know. I think with uh, females, they're a lot more um, happy to express, easy, oh, find it easy to express. Right, right, right. So by expressing, you get more support, right? Guys tend to keep it up bottle inside, and even in, in, in therapy as well. What we find is that there are a lot more females that come in for issues, right. but when the men come in, it's really at the stage where it's like, yeah, it's, it's there. It's yeah, like it's really super there. hard to get yeah. out of them, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, Doc, we've now got a message on our Did You Like Line, a voice message from Rima about her daughter. How do I know if my 15-year-old has anxiety or just pretending to? Hear me out. It seems like all the girls in her friends group, they have anxiety and they all feel depressed. I don't want to sound cynical, but it seems to be a thing with the kids these days. She doesn't seem outwardly anxious and seems fine until we speak to her about, you know, sleeping or homework or relationships or boys and stuff. But it is a question in my mind. How do I know if she's really... If she does have anxiety, good question, and I think it's a question that uh, will plague parents for for generations Ever? to come. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think t- being a teenager is it's it's never an easy prospect. Um, psychologically, it's the age where we also learn how to individuate from our family members and our parents. Individuate meaning like we're trying to find out who we are as people and trying to develop our own personality and things like that, right? Mm. And naturally, when we want to leave one group we attach ourselves to another group because that's safe and that's where we get our friends and stuff like that and we would uh, tend to follow whatever it is that the friend group is doing you know the herd yeah exactly herd mentalities right to answer your question I think there's no good way for us to know for a certainty right the only person who knows for a fact is your daughter right Mm -hmm. Uh, because you know if if that's what is the cool thing or that's what they're talking about or that's what the group has then naturally she wants to she's going to gravitate towards that line in that sense so that's one possibility it could also be that she's quite high functioning right that means deep down inside there's a lot of anxieties but she's able to function as per normal when she requires like in school and stuff like that hence no signs basically right exactly I think the only real way to find out is uh, to have a conversation with your daughter and say, hey, we want to know for a fact and if it is, then we need to give you some help. Let's go see someone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, clinical psychologist, psychiatrist, just to get an initial assessment done and then from there we can gauge and see, right? Best case scenario, it's nothing. It's teenage angst. It's, uh, you know, going through the motions kind of thing and mm-hmm. fine. Worst case scenario, there is underlying anxiety and we can nip it in the butt and we manage it as soon as possible, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's the best way to go about it. Um, the last thing is to look out for is functioning. You know, if your daughter is functioning okay socially or uh, in school, fine. I think that's okay to leave her at B. But if you notice significant declines, rapid declines, then I think it's more something to be more cautious about and, and raise the bells. Yeah. You know, when you're talking to to teenagers, mm-hmm. um, you know, everyone says, oh, have a communication with them. It's the best way to sort of get to it. But, you know, they're offensive or mm-hmm. defensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes what you say can get, you know, taken out of context or listened to yeah, yeah. with different ears somehow. Yeah. It's like alien speak, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm just wondering, like, if you, if I were to, if that was my daughter and I would, you know, she'd be saying, oh, I'm, I have anxiety, I'm feeling anxious. Yeah. What's a way that I could say, so tell me what you're feeling or can you walk me through it without mm. sounding like I'm misbelieving mm, for, for mm. you know, Rima to be able to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good question. Um, I think the best way is to try see what kind of method works best for your kid. Some kids would like the more direct approach. They don't want to beat around the bush. Some kids are like a bit more of the arm around the shoulder kind of method and, you know, it's more relaxed. It comes uh, comes out from uh, com- conversation or active shared activities and things like that. That's another good way. And third way is sometimes realizing that you 
might not be the best person to do it, right? So oh, maybe you're getting right. a relative or their siblings or someone else to do it because that's who they feel the most comfortable with. It's not like they don't want to share with you, but they just feel that they can't right now, right? Mm. So that's another good option to do as well.